you know the vibes welcome back to another episode of the hoop genius podcast brought to you by nba 2k24 bj armstrong three-time nba champion and myself momunsi bj how are you doing today oh well another day mo as they say another dollar all right man listen (laughs) we keep it going we got more questions to answer on today's show from our amazing listeners but before that you know, yesterday you very kindly wished me a happy birthday. Yes, today, how was your birthday? Yeah, how oh, was your birthday? Well, 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 the Celtics lost to the Sixers, so not ideal. Not ideal. But apart from that, it was a blessing. But never want to lose to the Sixers. Come on, dog. Um, okay. Sixers look really good. Maxi looked amazing on both sides. Embiid as well. I like what they got going there. If I'm a Sixers fan, but I'm not. So it was a terrible birthday. <laughs> But speaking of birthdays, today is another birthday. As you know, we mentioned it earlier in the week. As you know, we are very kindly sponsored by NBA 2K24. And today, in fact, marks 25 years of NBA 2K. Mm. So 25 years of the best basketball game in the world. BJ, how crazy is it for you to see basketball fans still be able to play with your Bulls team, for example, on their video game so young fans can learn about the game? You know, the whole concept of, of gaming to me is just fascinating. You know, I, the, the graphics, the, the, you know, the dedication to the game, you know? So it's, it's an incredible thing to me as a young kid that I didn't have, but to watch this generation it's been incredible to watch. So congrats to NBA 2K and all the gamers. I mean, it, I think it's a great way to connect to, you know, a sport, uh, connect to generations. So it, it's been fascinating to watch. So I, I think it's great. I think it's great for great for business, clearly. And um, so hopefully there'll be another 25 years and the graphics i just want to say the one thing the graphics now are so good mm-hmm. that now you you i can't even decipher sometimes i'll see my kids playing and i was like oh is there a game on and they'll just be playing <laughs> they'll just be playing the game so i i think it's unbelievable it's beautiful as you guys know you can get your copy of nba 2k24 through the link in our description which really helps support the show um but as it's 2k's birthday they're very kindly giving me some copies to give away so for the first four people who message me, message the Hoop Genius page, direct message on Discord, whatever it might be, the first four people, let me know your favorite part about the podcast and what console you play on, and I will send you a copy of NBA 2K24. How about that? That's how we celebrate. And for me, you know, NBA 2K has obviously been a massive part of my life to see me included in the game now. BJ, you've been in the game for a hot minute. Now the last few years I've been in the game, <laughs> people send me pictures when they see me in there, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> but um, my favorite part about the game, right, is the amount of people I know, like a lot of my close friends have become basketball fans through playing the game. Really? You know, like, especially when I was in uni, people would stop by my apartment, they'd see me playing and they'd be like, oh, what's this? Let me have a go. They start playing. Fast forward two, three years, and now they're hardcore NBA fans messaging me at three in the morning. Yo, are you watching? It's overtime. Da, 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 da. Like the amount of fans now that I've got into the NBA through the video game, uh, NBA 2K, is absolutely staggering. And, you know, I want to shout out to my boy Jude. 
my good friend Jude. I'm going to tell you a story. You know, Jude became an NBA fan. I met him during university. He lived with some of my friends. He lived just next door to me. And, um, you know, we started playing some 2K against each other. Mm-hmm. And he would practice and practice and practice um, because everyone wanted to beat the king. You know, everyone's trying to come and take my throne and ain't no one taking it. Um, but, you know, as I was away doing my thing, this guy was practicing, practicing. He goes, all right, cool. Now I'm back. Let's play. I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And the way we play it with me and my friends is we do random teams. So if you press square, it gives you a random team. Okay. And um, you get three random selections and you can pick between those three teams. And um, if you don't like any of those three, you get a fourth one, but you got to stick with it. So he's doing his three random teams and he gets Golden State. And this is when they had Kevin Durant on the Golden State Warriors, right? The best Golden State team. And then I'm doing my random teams and I'm getting rubbish teams. I'm getting like all the teams that were tanking at the time. So he's already excited thinking he's going to beat me. And then I got my three teams. They were all rubbish. I said, all right, cool. I'm going to play my luck. I'm going to go for a fourth random and stick with it. And I got LeBron James's Cleveland Cavaliers and I whooped him. So shout out to Jude because to this day, still ain't taking a throne. He's, he's coming to the crib tomorrow to run it back and he still ain't going to win. So shout out to Jude. I know you're listening. I just want to share that story of the intense rivalry in my friendship group. So shout out to Jude and all the rest of my friends who can't beat me at this game. But we've got more questions, like I said, from our amazing <laughs> listeners. <laughs> uh, that's really funny. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to the man then. Um, we've got some more questions though, BJ. Uh, okay. We've got a great question from Chris. Who wants to know, I want you to take us behind the curtain with this. He says, what is in a scouting report? Now, the other day, there was a fan who was staying at a hotel, I believe in San Antonio, when the Dallas Mavericks were playing the Spurs. And um, the Dallas Mavericks left a scouting report outside the door of every player that was staying in the hotel. Mm-hmm. But this fan was staying on the same floor as them. So he just picked one up and put the pictures <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> Of course he did. <laughs> Game plan out the window, right? Yeah, so Chris yeah. says, I'd imagine every player has at least one line in the report, whether they're in the rotation or not. E.g. a player won't go left, so you have some idea how to play them. But is it when they're not reporting on a player out of the rotation that you don't know what they can't do, so you can't exploit their weakness? It throws off your offense because you might not know their defense. Cheers from Chris. So this goes to what we say a lot of the time, you know, like Austin Reeves, for example, why he's struggling this season is, now he's on everyone's scouting report. Obviously, he was there before. But can you take us inside and tell us with some detail what's included in NBA scouting reports? Well, there are a number of things that are included. Um, one, you know, you say, okay, here's the weaknesses and here's the strengths. But that's only, you know, that's partially true because you're looking at the systems in which these players are planning. You're looking at personnel you're looking at the, you know, the pace in which they play, you know, there has to be emphasis on things. You know, one of the things that, that you learn as you're taking into account of a scouting report is for instance, um, Anthony Davis last night was out of the lineup. Okay. Versus the Houston Rockets. Suddenly your game plan most coaches are going to change their system of play based on the personnel that they have. Sometimes the system benefits your individual talent. For instance, you may be a better catch and shoot guy than you are a guy 
who plays off the dribble. You may be better coming off, you know, your right-handed player. Most right-handed guys, if they're shooters, they like to dribble with their left, right? Because you don't need to square up as much as if you're coming to your right. Suddenly now you may go from being a, you know, a secondary ball handler in an offense and a facilitator to suddenly now you are the primary playmaker. So you have to, a lot of these things kind of figures to your personnel. So I, I, the one thing that I always take away from a scouting report when I was playing and, and you, and it, I don't think it's changed over the years. Well, I know it hasn't changed over the years is you try to find the tendencies and the operating era of, of most players. So I'll give you an example. Giannis, when he rebounds the basketball, he's one of the elite players in the league that in two or three dribbles, he's already at the rim once he cra- once he crosses half court. Okay. And an elite scouting report would say the following. We have to build a wall from the moment he rebounds the basketball, right? Meaning our transition defense, this game has to be superior. Why? Because if we're not shooting well, let's say we don't shoot 50% and he gets 35% of the defensive rebounds that night, that means there's a pretty good chance Mm -hmm. that he's going to force the action. And more times than not, he's going to make the correct play because we know he can spray the basketball, meaning spray the basketball, meaning he can pass it to the corners. And within two or three dribbles, which is insane, once you cross half court, he may get to the basket in one, two dribbles. So there isn't your chance for error of, you know, correcting or giving a second effort is, you know, you, you have to be like, all in tune yeah so you look for go ahead and that varies from night to night because say you play the bucks one night that's your plan when the other team gets defensive rebounds but say the next night you're playing a kevin love or a steven adams and you know when they get the ball off a rebound on the defensive side they're looking for a long outlet pass so instead of building a wall around them you've got to stay with the cutters who are just running up the court the jamarans who's trying to catch catch that touchdown pass from steven adams so yeah it can change on a nightly basis as well. It's not just the superstars who get that treatment. It's kind of the granular details of a team's philosophy of how they play. So, yeah. So, so one of the adjustments within the scouting report will be let's put Giannis on a, let's make sure we try to get what's called matchups. So because we know Giannis's ability to rebound the ball and push it out, Let's try to limit that by making sure we have a stretch player that he has to guard, which will limit his ability to get the initial rebound. Make him a lane runner instead of a guy who has the ball. So you're constantly looking and and limiting the strengths of another team or a player, and you're emphasizing what you guys need to do to to force them to make an adjustment during the course of the game. Now, all the good coaches will see what's going on. They'll say, oh, they're bringing in, for instance, they're bringing in Mo. Mo is going to play a stretch position that night. And then the coaches on the Milwaukee Bucks will say, oh, they're not going to utilize Mo any cutting to the basket. He's just going to be a perimeter player. And suddenly Mo's going to shoot five threes in tonight's game. He hasn't shot five threes all, all week, but tonight he's going to be, 
And if he makes one or two, now Giannis certainly has to go. So you're, you, a scouting report just puts emphasis on what a team does and how they play. You get more in detail once you get to the playoffs because now you have to consider the matchups and the percentages in which the players are playing. Okay, so Mo, for instance, may be a 45% shooter from three, but he, for whatever reason, he's struggling doing this series. Or he may have struggled in game one, right? So if you struggle in game one and you got to sit in that city for two more days until the next game, well, that's a different mentality than, well, I, I played bad in Toronto. Who cares? I'll go to Cleveland tomorrow night and I'll mm. just move on. Okay, so scouting reports are helpful because it gives you an overall view of the team because of the the the, the amount of games you're playing. And it just gives you kind of a team focus to say, okay, we're playing against the Golden State Warriors, for instance. Everyone knows that at some point they're going to make a run. Why? Because they play, they play for the run. And we know, or at least the better teams know in this league, or the, I should say the teams who pay attention to the scouting reports, we know that they're going to make an adjustment in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. We talked about this yesterday with Golden State. Yeah, so we know that the Golden – so you're you're feeling great about how you played in the first half. Well, when you play against the Warriors, the Warriors haven't shown you the scouting report until the second half. I mean, they're just one of their more unique teams. They rely on their experience in the first half. And then in the second half, they say, okay, this is what we know we can do. They're just – Everyone has a different way of applying this knowledge or applying what they believe gives them the best chance to win the game. So, you know, you just go about it in a way, but you're trying to bring awareness and attention to certain emphasis that, you know, the other team has, and you're trying to exploit what they don't do well. So, you know, it's a scouting reports are fascinating because the better teams you're on, the more emphasis you put on the scouting report, because you're trying to execute, you know, the lessons learned or things you've seen, or you try to pick up on certain trends. Absolutely. Um, we got another question in from Nat, who says there's a lot of talk about tearing down the bulls and moving to Rosen and Zach, but is it worth waiting until Alonso is back or is there too much risk? What would you guys do? Uh, would you maybe move to Rosen due to his age and his value? P.S. I just want D Rose back for one last dance. <laughs> <laughs> and I think D Rose has got a couple more years left on him before he goes for a last dance. But if we were in charge of the Bulls, BJ, what would we be looking at with the Rose and Zach Levine? Because this is a team that's kind of stuck in the middle ground of the NBA. They're not good enough to compete and they're not bad enough to go out and get good draft picks. And they traded away a lot of their draft picks. So what would you do in this situation if you're the Chicago Bulls? Well, it, it's been fascinating to watch watch my bullies because you know I'm 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 a little partial to the Bulls, mm-hmm. but you know you got to look at the situation for what it is now. Well, well, the the first scenario that you have to address is what is the likelihood of Alonzo Ball coming back? Now, I don't know how long have we missed now? Like it's two been years, at least two, two years. Seasons? Okay. Is this right, third two... season he's missing? Okay, so what's the likelihood of him coming back? And then. Once he's back, what's the likelihood that he will return back to the form in which he left? Because he was a very impactful player. And I might add on both ends of the court, not mm-hmm. only his ability to score and and run the run the position as a lead guard, but he he's he was a really good defensive guard as well. Okay, so what's the likelihood of that's that to me would be the first thing. The second thing would be 
I would address my books, meaning, am I going to commit to DeMar DeRozan a long time at this age? And if I do, what's my expectations? I think it's a, I think it's a fair question that you have to ask yourself. Now, we all know here that, you know, DeMar DeRozan is a really good player. He's a very good player. He's in that age now where, you know, you're looking, he's 30. How old is he now, Mo? 30, what? He's um, in his 30s. DeMar DeRozan yeah. is 34, I believe. Okay, he's 34. Okay, so he's in that age now where you're saying, you know, we start doing three, four years. You know, if you give him three years now, he'll be 37, okay? Mm-hmm. So now we have to figure out what wh- where is – where are we as a team? Okay. And, and the first question is Lonzo Ball. Clearly, we're better with Lonzo Ball. However, what's our expectations of Lonzo Ball returning? Mm-hmm. Are we getting that same Lonzo back? Are we getting a different version of Lonzo Ball? And, and even that's... then, he's got a player option next year. So he's he's on an expiring contract next year. Right. Okay. So even if he does come back, say he comes back and he's playing great basketball, if the team's still not in a condition to win, he may even look to go somewhere else the following season. Yeah, so that, that, that may be. Second, now, what's my commitment to DeMar? DeMar may be looking for a three or four-year deal, and maybe I'm only looking to do this for two years. If I don't know the status of that question you just asked with Lonzo Ball, now am I willing to commit for two or three years? Beyond that, because Lonzo may leave. Third, which I think is is a question you have to address, my best player, which is Zach Levine, because you know they just committed to him. What for? I think for five years, right? They gave him yeah, a his contract ends in twenty twenty seven. Okay, they just committed to him. Now, what's the likelihood of me building a team so that? He, because he is my centerpiece of the team, that can. What's the likelihood of me building a team that can compete with the upper tier teams, in particular, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Miami Heat, who just went to the finals a year ago? You know, Cleveland is right there on the cuffs. You know, you have the Knicks, who think that they're going to be in the upper, you know, the upper echelon of the, of of the Eastern conference. So what's the likelihood of me putting together a team in this timeframe that's going to work with Zach Levine. And to me, the biggest question is, okay, what can we do in the free agency space? What can we do in the trade space? Because if you have Zach Levine in these guys, you're in, in, and again, this is just every executive knows this. You're in the danger zone of being in the middle of the pack, as is. You're not going to be at the upper tier of the pack as far as win loss records. You're not bad enough to be where you're going to get lottery picks. You're always going to be hovering in the purgatory. middle of the pack. You're in purgatory. Well, you know, you're just hovering. Okay. <laughs> And that's a that's a tough place to be in because you're not the draft now is not a space where you're going to be really looking to get to improve your team. So now you have to address these things, make a decision, 
and, and and do okay what's what are we going to do for the short term what are we going to do while we're playing which is right now and then you got to prepare for the future so i think these are big questions that this bulls team has to address and that's a lot because if you make the wrong decision <laughs> okay it's going to set you back years to come all right you say all right we're going to play now and all of a sudden you 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 make a commitment to Demar, you make a commitment to all of the players, and you say these this is our guys, and then all of a sudden, three years later, you you're sick, you're fighting for the ace spot every year. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to set you back as an organization. If you make a wrong decision on what to do with a player like a Demar Derozan because he's an impactful player, that could set you back short term right you maybe you're not as good next year however you get in the lottery because you, your scouts and your staff has determined that the draft will be the best chance for us to get you know improve our team over the next two or three years and then suddenly they get a player who is a franchise star player in the draft good great move for you guys mm-hmm. all right you took you, you you sacrifice a little short term you get yourself in the lottery you draft the right player, you're in the right spot, and then now you move on, and all of a sudden now you and I are saying the the Bulls are the team the, the, the team of the future. Mm-hmm. You know, a la you look at a team like Oklahoma, for instance, right now, they got a very promising future because that's exactly what they did when they got rid of Russell Westbrook, Paul George, and those players. Mm-hmm. So, Mo, there's a lot of ways to do it. You have to determine all of this because you and I both know the following. There's only so many ways you can improve your team, right? You get you can go through the draft, you can go through a trade, you can do free agency, or you can improve from within. If you draft players and they continue to improve, suddenly they turn out to be stars like you're seeing. I'm just using Oklahoma, Josh Giddy, uh, the Williams kid, Chet Holmgren. When you see those players improve, it significantly improves your team, but that happens in the future. So there are a couple of ways you can do it. And I think the Bulls are at that critical moment now where they're going to have to make these decisions. Well, um, I think they've got to do a lot of improving from within. Patrick Williams, uh, in particular, has not improved at the level many were expecting. Um, And it's going to be tough for free agent market because they've never typically been a hot free agent destination. So really trading and drafting and improving from within is what they've got to go with, like most teams in the NBA who aren't Miami or Los Angeles. Um, so we're going to see. I personally don't think that Lonzo is coming back anytime soon. And even if he does after being out for two, three years, how productive can he be? Um, so maybe it's time to move on. Max1865 uh, wants to know, can the Bucks overcome their early season defenses, fra- defensive frailties and make a run for the finals? Feel like they might come to regret trading Drew in favor of Dame scoring, which hasn't been prolific other than game one. Um, well, Dame... Had a nice fourth quarter against your Pistons the other night. Uh, sorry to bring that up. <laughs> um, and, and the Bucks defense, you know, a big part of that was they played drop coverage for so many years now. And Brooke Lopez and Giannis would drop back. And then it was Drew Holiday and before him, Eric Bledsoe would chase over the top of the screens um, to catch up with the ball handler and contain him. Now with Dame Lillard, he's not going through the screens. He's just getting stuck. Um, and so they were trying to play the big men a bit higher, which led to disastrous results. 
So then they reverted back to their drop coverage. And I think the entire thing wages on how committed Damian Lillard is to the defensive end. There's no doubt in my mind that this team will improve as the season progresses and they spend more time together as a group. But making a run to the finals and winning a championship, to me, similar to what we saw with Steph Curry in 2022, he's not going to be the best defender in the world. But if he just buys in and gives you the effort on the defensive side, that can be the difference maker between winning a championship and not winning a championship. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, when you have a trade of this magnitude, meaning it's this is a this is a big trade for this team. Talking about the Milwaukee Bucks, because it's not like a role player. This is this is an all-star caliber player. It's going to change the dynamics of the team. So when you looked at the Bucks and why they were successful, they had they had, you know, he was a premier. What first or second team all defensive player talking about Drew mm-hmm. Holiday every year. He's so his so his impact on the game and what he was able to do. You know, it caught. We all knew that Drew Holiday was going to guard the other team's best perimeter player. Second, they have an all defensive player in Giannis. Suddenly, Brooke Lopez was a defensive player of the year candidate mm-hmm. as the center position. Okay. So clearly they had developed a culture now where defensively they had not one, not two, they had three players that would contribute to the game. So their, their mentality, if you will, the fabric of their team became a defensive oriented team. Okay. So that's, that's just, it is what it is. Now, they found a system that worked for them, right? And we call it drop coverage, right? Meaning the guards would chase over the top. Brooke Lopez's job was to contest any shot because we know a contested shot lowers the percentages of an uncontested shot. And they figured out a system of play under Coach Bud that worked for them. Now, they have a new coaching staff. They play, what, Mo, what, less than 10 games. Mm -hmm. So we're already, (laughs) we've already made our assessment. Oh, these guys can't defend. Oh, these guys can't do this. Oh, these guys. What that? Th- th- that's my whole thing. Well, I. That's why I. I always a lot the twenty first twenty five games. Let's figure out and work out the kinks. This is one of the things that I. I. I never understood with the union when they shortened the preseason. You want to play these preseason games so that you can work out the kinks and give yourselves the best chance to win in the regular season. What you're seeing, Mo, now is I I think we used to play around eight to ten preseason games, and then we would play the regular season. That Mm -hmm. gives you enough time, Mo, to kind of work these things out. What you're seeing now in the NBA season, the first five or seven games to me are just an extension of the preseason. If you're asking me, yeah, why? Because you're still seeing coaches trying to figure out rotations, what we can do. I mean, I read a quote the other day from the Milwaukee Bucks. I think you might even send it to me, where the coaching staff there. Oh well, we got to figure out. <laughs> we have to figure out our whether we're going to play drop coverage or whatever. <laughs> they and said the players was, wanted us to go back to drop, so we went back to drop. This is. <laughs> Instead, you know, listen, I'm just making a suggestion here. Instead of always working out individually, 
how about trying to figure out how the team is going to play and how you fit into that system and what you're going to do. Think about this. We're talking about a champ. We're talking about one of the teams that many people said, this is a team that's going to come out in the East. Mm -hmm. They could be the favorites by some of yeah. And then they're still trying to figure out, are we going to play drop coverage? (laughs) Are we going to play? Are we going to switch? Think about this mode. So this just lets you know how complex this thing really is talking about, you know, NBA basketball teams, you have a trade, new coaches do. It's just not as simple as, well, Dame is coming. Dame is Dame. And what's name going to be unstoppable in the screen roll. That's why it's very rarely. I even talk about offense because the offense is the last thing that comes into play. That's just what we see. You know, when you, when you, when you look at the score, who won the game, however, why you won the game, what's the roles, what's the system. So I'm not going to put much emphasis right now on what's going on there in Milwaukee because they need time. And because of the shortened preseason that we have, I mean, these guys only go to training camp for like a, for like a week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And then they have like three or four games and then the, the season starts. It makes no sense to me. I don't care how good or conditioned you are as an athlete. It takes time to build chemistry as a team. So it's going to take a couple of months I'm going to be patient with them. We'll see. Dame is still figuring out his role. Dame is still figuring out how he fits in. Chris Middleton, by the way, is not playing much on like back-to-back scenarios. They got a new system, new dynamics. So let's give them a, a little time. You know, so we'll, we'll see what happens. I just think it takes time, and I'm I'm not going to push the panic button because they're not playing well in the first eight games when Mm -hmm. I know that this is really, but what we're really watching is the preseason. The the (laughs) preseason. I mean, I know it's the regular season, but it's really the preseason. Let's wait for Christmas and see what's good. Um, One more question here from Andy Williams. He says, we've been discussing the downturn of a league guard for a while, but with the Utah Jazz now playing a guard line of Colin Sexton, Talon Horton Tucker and Jordan Clarkson, as well as rookie Keontae George and Chris Dunn, does their record speak to the fact that having somebody on the floor facilitating and calling plays is still vital in today's NBA? And what could help the Jazz? What what help could the Jazz bring in for Laurie Markkinen? Um, I think the Jazz, as much as they were a surprise of last season, I think they caught a lot of teams off guard. They are still very much a rebuilding team. And I really like what I've seen from Keontae George, the rookie. I think he was the 16th pick. Um, he had a great summer league and he's shown flashes so far that he can be one of their core pieces moving forwards. Mm-hmm. The Jazz obviously are losing games left, right, and center. Um, but I think it's just a question of developing him and you know, allowing him to make those mistakes and allowing him to get comfortable with the game. You know, people like Talon Horton Tucker, who they traded for with the Lakers, Connor Sexton, Jordan Clarkson, all very solid pieces who could contribute greatly across the NBA. But I think right now this season is a case of we know Laurie Markkinen is going to put up huge numbers and we're going to try and bring in some help for him. But Danny Ainge has said we want three star players if we're going to return to the upper echelon of the Western Conference. You've got one star player in Laurie Markkinen. If you can turn Keontae George into that second star player, then you can make a move to try and bring in a third. I think that's what they're trying to do. So I think for Jazz fans right now this season, the key is just to be patient. What do you think, BJ? Well, a couple of things. The, the 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 when you start when you start changing lineups, 
when you find, okay, let me, let me start at the beginning. When you find something that works, in my opinion, you stick with it. You don't, sometimes you don't even know why it works. So for instance, Lori Marketing and Kelly Olenek worked. Hmm. I never would have guessed that that would be the combination of my bigs and say they complement one another because they're never fighting with one another for space on the floor. Kelly Olenek can stretch the floor and he's a really good passer. Okay, he's mm-hmm. a he's a good yep. interior yep. passer. That worked for him. Okay, that that I don't know why it worked, but it worked for him. Lori Markadin was playing some type of forward position. I don't know if he was the small forward or big forward, but Kelly Olenek complimented him and did all of the other work on the other side where Lori Markkinen wasn't playing the center position. Now, when I watch the, the, the Utah jazz and I haven't watched them like, uh, you know, I haven't watched like every one of their games, but I said, Oh, that's interesting. John Collins, who was an offensive player, he gives a different dynamic to the mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. than Lori Markkinen. And it's clear that Laurie Markkinen, because he's a seven-footer, is now the bigger of the two players. Yeah. So that's a different dynamic. Yeah, even with Walker Kessler out, who, who I think has star potential, he had, they had Laurie Markkinen star center the other night. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. So when I'm watching this, I'm, I always watch for the chemistry of the team. Kelly Olenek and Laurie Markkinen work. They work together. They're like a, you know... You can't put small players on either one of them. You know, it was kind of like, I remember the first time I played against Larry Bird and and Kevin McHale. Like, Larry, people don't realize, Larry Bird was like 6'9", 6'10". So you couldn't put like a 6'6", six, six or 6'7", six, player because he would post you up. But you also couldn't put a small player on Kevin McHale. And that's how I feel about Kelly Olenek and Lori Marketing because they're both big. Okay, and then you put Walker Kessler in the lineup, and then suddenly now you're like, these, these guys are like, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good lineup. That's a, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Utah be loving those three. Okay, that's a, that's a pretty good lineup. Why? Because of their size. You know, if they may not be the most athletic, either even though Lori Marketing is a sneaky athlete. Yeah. But they're big, right? Then you all of a sudden you put your guard play in there that can distribute and push the tempo and all those things. And I think now you have an interesting team. Now I also have been looking at their lineup and I said, there's another thing that's caught my eye with them. Jordan Clarkson, who has been the sixth man of the year, suddenly now they've put him in the starting lineup. So my question is, okay, so that's two significant changes for me, even though they're on the same team. One player was a starter a year ago, Kelly Olenek. And then the other guy we know is an elite six man. And now he's in the starting position. So that changes the dynamic of the team. Jordan Clarkson, to me, biggest asset as a player is his ability to score in short windows of time. Kind of like with Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford and those mm-hmm. players. They mm-hmm. get, they're just instant heat checks. Microwaves. Now, so now Jordan Clarkson has to run. when he As a starter, you know you have to carry out the assignment. Mm-hmm. So that changes his mentality. So there's a lot of change that has happened there. And I don't think this team has found its stride yet. I still like their personnel, 
but they haven't found their rhythm now you know horton tucker they're asking him to be a lead guard well he's been a scorer i've been watching this kid since high school back in chicago he's never going to be a guy who's going to come down and run the offense he's he's a scorer Mm -hmm. that's his natural position i mean can he do it yeah he's doing it now however he wants to attack the basket so i think there's a lot of things that have changed and that's why i say mo every year is different you never know what this year but their team dynamic has changed the john collins situation they traded for him so they're trying to implement him they made uh i can't remember the kid's name they drafted this year they're trying to implement him george yeah yeah so there's a lot of things going on but I think they will probably settle in. And that's the that's what makes every year different. Every year is a different year, a different team, a different dynamic, even though you may have the same players. Absolutely. But that's been another week of the Hoop Genius Podcast. Make sure you guys are subscribed on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. We'll be back nice and early on Monday with more, with another episode with Scott Perry joining us, which is going to be... Ooh. Always great to hear from uh, <laughs> our executive friends, you know, BJ. <laughs> um, I hope you guys all listen. Have a great weekend, BJ. I hope you have a great weekend as well. And we'll see you very soon. Most importantly, you guys know the vibes. Get buckets. <laughs>